Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One, two, three, four. Filled with awe and fright. See Jurassic right. With an ember light. See Jurassic right. Jurassic ride, 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 see Jurassic ride, 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 see Jurassic ride, 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 see Jurassic ride, see Jurassic ride, see Jurassic Park. Yay, I'm so excited to talk to my guest today when uh, I believe the first time um, I, I was like, how do you meet somebody online? But during Dustin Grawick's Dinosaur 101, she was... Uh, like participating a lot and stuff and it was so cool and then i somehow from there followed you on twitter learned about animal facts she is studying movement ecology of elasmo branches she does animal facts on tiktok and is the co-founder of miss minorities and shark sciences it's jada elcock that's how you pronounce your last name right i just realized i forgot to ask <laughs> no yeah that's right jada elcock thank you so much for joining me thanks for having me i'm excited to be here yeah i i think it's Look, this is a Jurassic Park podcast, and I do want to because you I know you've seen Jurassic Park, at least because you've you have worn the shirt. So I want to ask you about that later. But yeah, I think what's really cool. I mean, besides this podcast, wanting to talk to people who are in the science communication world, I feel like sharks are kind of and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like sharks are almost kind of like in a similar space of dinosaurs where I do like. Do you, would you say that like sharks are also kind of a gateway for kids or, or adults in general to be interested in science? Yeah, honestly, I do. Cause you see like all these little kids with their little shark figurines and their shark shirts and they're all super excited about it. And then sometimes like people grow out of it, but then there are people that don't grow out of it. And I think it's really cool that that is kind of like a gateway for people to open up to more science. Um, and it's just, it's a lot of fun to work on something that you've really liked since you were a kid. Oh, that's awesome. So you would say you were a shark kid growing up or like an ocean kid or something like that. I was definitely an ocean kid. I was honestly a little bit afraid of sharks. But then as I watched more documentaries and learned more about them, I was like, there's really not a reason to be afraid of them. They're, you know, they just they live in the ocean. They're just big fish. Honestly, I, <laughs> I think people get really scared because they're like, oh, they have big, sharp teeth and they'll attack you. And I'm like. The chances of you getting attacked by a shark are not high and the chances of you getting killed by a shark are even lower. So I feel like 
it's they're kind of villainized and they shouldn't be. So yeah, I, I realized very quickly that I shouldn't really be afraid of sharks and that I should love them and respect them. Ooh, that's a great place. I feel like it's, to me, it's similar with dinosaurs in that sense. We're like, or any big predator where, I don't know, there's like a sense of respect and sort of like, yeah, these are just animals and like, they're not, you know, like, I'm, I guess I'm like, I'm not going to like try and think I know better than a shark. I just want to enjoy its majesty. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to make sure that we don't let fear get in the way of respect because these are important animals and they do live in the ocean. And it's something that we need to recognize and just understand that they're there and respect that they're there and not try to get in their way. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was your first shark related memory growing up? That's a really good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, I think I remember seeing them at the shed aquarium when I was little, um, and getting like shark teeth from the aquarium on like necklaces or bracelets and stuff. And I thought that it was the coolest thing. I was like, Oh my gosh, I've got a shark tooth now. I'm the coolest thing ever. I'm basically already a scientist at seven years old. And all I have is a shark tooth. Like I thought it was the coolest thing. Um, and then, I think my first experience with like an actual, like real live shark right in front of me was when I started interning at an aquarium in Arizona, um, two summers ago, actually. And yeah, the sharks were just so, they're so gorgeous. And I, I think it's interesting to see people's reaction when I say this, but they're so sweet. Like I, I think of sharks like dogs in the water and I just think like they're so sweet. They look like they like to have fun and I don't know, but it was a really cool experience to finally see sharks in person and be so close to them. That's amazing. And no, it's, it's, it just made me think this idea of like, I'm sure growing up it's, we all have like this expectation of something and then the idea that you can finally meet one, <laughs> hello, you can meet one in person and it's like, just as mind blowing. I'm sure that probably for you was like, well, then of course this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, exactly. I just think that I, I was so interested in the ocean for so long. And when I, when I realized I wanted to work with sharks and then I, I started interning at the aquarium and I saw one in person and I was like, yep, this is the path I have, I have chosen my destiny and no one is going to change that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's really, that's, I think that's really inspiring. And I think one of my goals with this kind of series where I'm chatting with, you know, scientists and science communicators and anyone in that field is that I think for a lot of people, it seems that the, the, the jump from, you know, when I'm playing with my dinosaur toys, I say that as I'm surrounded by dinosaur toys right now, but (laughs) you know, when I was a kid, you know, playing with dinosaur toys and then to go and, you know, uh, make that a reality. And so for you, when you were growing up, what, like, what were those kind of steps that you took where it was like, okay, I'm going to study this. I'm going to go here. Like, how did that go? How did you go from being a shark kid to where you are now? Yeah. So, um, I was always really interested in the ocean and well, I guess animals in general. Um, and I think because I grew up in landlocked States, I was so far from the ocean that I didn't have access to that ecosystem. And, like my brothers and I would go run around outside and find frogs and toads and lizards and snakes and whatever else we could find in the areas that we lived, but we couldn't just go outside and find a fish or a shark or whatever, because we weren't anywhere near the ocean. So I think that that just made me even more curious about it. Oh. And then when I got to high school, I, like I said, started watching a lot more documentaries on like shark week or national geographic or animal planet. Um, and watching planet earth and everything like that. And the more I learned about sharks, I was like, wow, these things are really interesting. I think that I, this is something that I could be really, really good at and something that I could really enjoy. So I started um, working towards making that my reality and talking to uh, my teachers to see if they know anything about it, talking to my professors once I got to college and then taking the classes that I thought would give me the most information I could and take that and move into graduate school. And I, I kind of just manifested it, I guess, (laughs) for myself, because I know a lot of people, you know, at Northern Arizona university on a desert surrounded by mountain probably didn't work with sharks. So (laughs) yeah, but I think a few of my professors knew people who could help me get into that field. And then I, I made a lot of connections through my professors and through Friday Harbor labs and, 
now I'm starting grad school to work on sharks. And I'm so excited that I was able to make this happen. That's so exciting. And I, you know, yeah, on your bio, you said um, the, the movement ecology of Elasmo branches. And obviously, we're not going to parties right now. But if you were at a cocktail party and someone's like, so what are you studying? What do you, you know, like, how would you explain what the movement ecology of Elasmo branches is? Yeah. So I would describe that as basically where Elasmo branches are going. Why are they going to these areas? What are they doing while they're there? Um, and trying to see if these are what we would call like critical habitats for them, um, which would be like places that they spend a lot of time. Maybe it's like a nursery site or a birthing ground or a breeding ground or a place that houses a large population of their prey items, something like that. Truly that, that to me, I mean, I've just never heard that phrase movement ecology. It like sounded so like, Ooh, what is this? You know, like in that, I mean, it make it to me, it, you know, with climate change and things like that, it's almost like where things are going and why they're there. Like that feels very important to me. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's super important to know that these have really big implications on conservation because a lot of shark species are endangered for um, a lot of different reasons. There's, there's bycatch, there's target fisheries, and they're also typically pretty slow to reproduce. Um, so when we do catch them in high numbers, it's hard for their populations to bounce back because they just reproduce so slowly. So knowing where these critical habitats are is a way for us to potentially um, protect them because we can try to protect these areas and make sure that we aren't going there for fishing or that we're uh, thinking of methods that we could potentially change the way that we're fishing so that we can reduce bycatch or or fish for sharks sustainably if there's a target fishery for a certain species. So knowing where these areas are is going to be really important in just making sure that we can try and keep them safe. Huh. That's it's almost like, uh, I wonder are, is science in general moving towards this? Like, well, we have to think of practical solutions. Is that, or is it more of just like, let's see what all of our options are, I guess. Honestly, I don't, I don't know. It depends on the field you're in because yeah. sometimes science is just about, I'm curious about this certain thing. Let's see if we can find an answer. But sometimes they're about, you know what, this is a problem. Let's see what we can do to solve it. So I, it does kind of depend on what field you're in. Huh. Well, I mean, thinking about that, cause if just for some listeners, elasmo branches are sharks, skates and rays, correct? Yes. So wh why are, uh, I, I, I personally love rays. Why are they so weird? Why are they all flat and flippy? <laughs> to use scientific it's so, yeah, <laughs> super scientific. Um, I think I honestly, I'm not exactly sure why they are flat. I know that skates um, and some species of stingrays will kind of bury themselves in, in the sediment, which is, uh, you know, would be really helpful if you're already pretty flat. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's also interesting to note that some of the stingrays are have different modes of moving, I guess. So there are benthic rays, like bottom dwelling rays, that kind of, I guess, undulate their fins, and it looks like a wave going across their entire body uh, or across their fins. And then there are rays that eat benthic organisms but stay more in the middle of the water column, like eagle rays, and they, I call them flat flaps. Because they, you know, flap, flap, they kind of look like a bird flying. Um, but I'm not exactly sure. I, I'm sure it has something to do. I'm not exactly sure how the development works for them to be flattened like that. But I'm sure that there are a number of different advantages to being flat and having the lifestyle that they have. <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes sense. That's that's so funny. And and speaking of that, and just in general, is is something like being in the ocean or being in like, are those things that you like for you? Are you striving to like be outdoors and be in the field? I know we were just talking before the podcast. Is that something that like is is like the best thing about uh, what you're doing? Yeah, I love the ocean, even though I've not had much experience with it because I've lived in landlocked states. But I love spending time outside and being in the water. And I just think that, I think that is a big drive uh, for, for me choosing what I, what I wanted to do with my life, but also just interacting with animals and finding out more about them because there's so many things about the animal kingdom and specific species that we don't know that we want to know. 
And I think that kind of meshing those two things together, like the curiosity about animals and just the love for the water is kind of what pushed me into this, this field. So, yeah, I don't know. I think overall, it's just something that I knew that I would love for many different reasons. And I was like, you know what, let's do it. That's cool. And I I just had this thought now, it, it, it must be different interacting or or maybe this is just an assumption I'm making, but is it different interacting with an animal in the wild versus like, you know, in captivity, like at an aquarium or something like that? Um, that's a good question. I think that it can be different, but it isn't always different. I think that it's different because you interact with the same animals every day at like an aquarium or in captivity. So if you see a shark in the wild, unless it's not a highly migratory species, the chances of you interacting with that specific animal again aren't super high. At least that's that's what I would assume. But in an aquarium, you can see the same animals every day and you can get to know their personalities because <laughs> a lot of people don't believe this, but sharks, fish, you know, animals that we wouldn't think have personalities have very distinct personalities. And you can get to know the individual and what they like, what they don't like, their little quirks and things like that. So I think that's the main difference that I have seen. Um, I haven't had the chance to like really interact with sharks in the wild yet because I haven't, I'm, I'm starting grad school this fall. So I haven't had that chance just yet, but that's what I assume would be the biggest difference. And I, I love interacting with animals in an aquarium because getting to see their personalities is just so much fun and being able to identify them, even if like of the same species, even if they look super similar, being able to identify the different individuals just by the way that they act is really, really fun to do. Oh, I imagine that must be. Yeah, because especially there seems to be this popular notion that maybe only mammals have personalities or I, I mean, it sort of extends further and further out. I mean, I've I've had the opportunity to talk to somebody who works with reptiles and it's like, you know, my, my iguana Joanna. And it's just like, she's so sweet. And it's like, oh, I love, I like, I love learning about that or like people who have snakes. Like I've, I want a snake, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, as far as sharks go, um, you know, it's hard to pick favorites, but if there's like, is there like an underrated shark that you kind of like telling people about that maybe somebody hasn't heard of or, or, or just sharks that you appreciate in general? Yeah. So I actually on, uh, Monday the 7th we'll be doing an event for Elasma Week um, and a friend and I will be rating underrated sharks and basically mm-hmm. talking to people about um, sharks that they might not know about and being like you know 12 out of 10 very good boy <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be on the Miss YouTube channel um, and I believe it'll be recorded so that you can watch it later on as well but oh, awesome! I believe that my favorite shark I have two and it goes back and forth sometimes but right now i'm gonna go with the thresher shark because they have this crazy tail that's like half of its body length basically and it uses it to whip its prey to stun it or kill it and then it can just go through this giant ball of fish and collect whatever is no longer moving and i think that that's a really weird and cool mode of hunting (laughs) but then there's also the bonnethead shark and they are the only known omnivorous shark species. Whoa, wait, like they can, there's the shark Yeah, that... they can, yeah, they eat like sea grasses um, and they can actually like digest it and get nutrients from it, which is crazy. And I think this was found only like a few years ago. So it's a pretty new thing, Whoa. but yeah, there's an omnivorous shark. And there's also, I'm sorry, I got to get one more. No, 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 the, of course. The, the salmon shark is so awesome because it is endothermic. Um, it lives up by like Alaska and has to chase prey. That's like pretty fast. It chases like salmon and Alaskan cod and squid. And it has to be able to move fast. But you know how, like when your hands get really cold, you can't move them very fast. Yeah. That's just, that's, that's what happens to them too. So they basically have like this, this counter current heat exchange system where they can keep warming their cold blood and heat up like their brain and their eyes and their muscles to make sure that they're still efficient and fast predators. They can heat their body, I think 60 degrees Fahrenheit above the ambient water temperature. And that is just insane to me because fish are not normally endothermic. And this one took it to just like the whole nine yards, like took it way too far and was like, I'm going to show off. 
Let's yeah. see how warm I can get. And I think that's just really cool. It's like that torch shark or something like that. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Oh my gosh. That this just, you know, talking animal facts. I mean, how did how did that start? How did you start the TikTok? It actually took me a moment to realize because I because I started following you on Twitter and so I was just seeing them on on there, but then it was like, oh no, there's this whole world of TikTok and stuff that you had at you because you had already been doing it for a while by the time you started putting them on Twitter, right? Actually, I think I had only posted one on TikTok and it wasn't even that good. So I ended up deleting it. But I posted the second one, which was about Thresher Sharks on Twitter because my friend was like, you should do it. People will love it. And I was like, ah, okay. And then it kind of exploded and I was not expecting it to. But yeah, it started um, because I was on TikTok and I was seeing a lot of people have their thing that they do on TikTok. Like there are artists that will draw certain companies as people or (laughs) Disney princesses as Disney villains or something like that. So um, I was like, this would be really cool if I also had a thing on TikTok and see if people like it. And at the same time, getting information about animals out there. So I just started making these weird videos and my older ones are embarrassing because they're so slow and I look so unenthusiastic, which is so weird because that's not me. But now the newer ones where I'm talking at the speed of light and (laughs) I'm so excited about it, that's more me. And I think it just took me a minute to kind of like, like get my, my things together and realize that like, no one's going to be mean to you. Well, I guess, I don't know. It, it just, I guess took me a minute to kind of get my, my legs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My sea legs. No, (laughs) I love that to kind of get my voice and figure out exactly how I wanted to present myself on TikTok. And I was like, just present yourself as yourself because why not? Um, yeah, but yeah, well, it, I, I will say, I mean, as far as social media platforms go, I feel like, and I, I'm, honestly just on there because i follow you and i follow this woman who does couponing those are two you're the the, those are the only two people i follow on tiktok is you and this couponing woman laura bell but oh that's so good but i mean it seems like tiktok in a way is like a kind of ripe for something like like what you're doing because it provides so many more tools i mean you know instagram you can change what the image looks like and you can cut the video down to a certain length that you want but like tiktok has music and editing and the way that people collect like it just seems like it's there's more of a playground there to get creative. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I think I'm, I'm not super great with like editing and things like that. And like video software, all that stuff. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. So TikTok is just like, yeah, you can film this with a picture in the background. You can add like a voice, like a weird voice filter. You can move the different clips you have around into different orders if you think you messed up on one of the clips, you can just reshoot that clip. Like it's so easy wow. and so like user friendly. And I think it's a great platform. I, it's got a lot of like nonsense in it, which <laughs> I love because I'm a complete nonsense humor kind of person. But I think it's a really good place for science communication too, because there's so many people, the younger generations on there. And yeah. you can kind of, you can kind of get to them when they're younger and be like, look how cool this science is rather than, you know, on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook where people are already kind of deciding what they want to do. No, that's very interesting. And I mean, I, I mean, I, it, it's almost like what I love about where to me, like, because I've fallen into this world of like seeing how science, uh, how science is communicated, working on ologies and just trying to do stuff with my own podcast and following so many people on science, Twitter but what I, what I love is that there's almost a space for every type of art or like way to communicate where it's like following you. I get these like bite sized minute facts and then I'll go watch eons, which is like a 10 minute thing. It's almost like I'm trying to like any any amount of time possible. I want to fill in with something really cool and like to learn or something like that to me. Um, and I yeah, like how did you decide what animals you're going to cover? Like how long does it? take to usually make a video or anything like that? Yeah. So I choose the animals that I want to cover based on suggestions that I get off of Twitter and TikTok. Like people are like, Oh, my favorite animal is the African elephant. Same. You should do that one. Or, Oh my gosh, I heard that there's this weird lizard that looks like it's scuba diving and has a (laughs) bubble on its head. You should cover that one. So that's, I take suggestions and I 
I love seeing people get so excited about learning something new about animals and realizing that there's so many facts out there that has not been communicated and that mm. everyone should know. And it's just like, it's, it's super fun to see people get so excited about it. Um, and as for how long they take, I mean, gathering facts and filming, I think overall takes maybe an hour. That sounds about right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I used to do them every single day over quarantine <laughs> because it would be like when I took a break from doing my work, like what else was I going to do? Just sit and watch TV. I was like, I do this every day. So I was like, let's do something fun. So I started doing those and I did them every single day. And then I cut back and now I'm doing them once or twice a week. Um, now that I'm like in classes and things. And I have done, I think 147 wow. of them. <laughs> Incredible. I mean, I, 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 again, talking to Dustin and his Dino 101, it, it's to me, him and you are like to me that's so inspiring to you know take this time and to really because it's it's not just like doing like you know i uh, like i made an album in um 30 days or you know it's like but getting to share your knowledge and share the things that you're excited about is so inspiring to me personally uh what has been that response is it what has been the response like yeah so i um i started these videos in january i think like mid to late january of this year and i started with around 300 followers, something like that. I now have over 21,000 followers and it happened so fast. And I remember, I think someone, I think Sarah McAnulty and Dustin and Karina Newsom gave me a shout out on Twitter. They were like, you guys should follow this girl and learn about random animals. And then I gained like 5,000 followers in a day. And I was like, Oh my God, what is going on? Like, it was crazy. And people have been really nice about it. And they're like, Oh my gosh, these videos are so much fun. They're so entertaining and informative. My children love them. And I try to keep them family friendly for that specific reason, because I know that children really like to learn about animals. And it, I think getting information about animals and like science communication to kids is really important too. Um, and yeah, everyone has been so supportive and, and then it continues on from just the animal fact videos. And I was like, Hey guys, I am going to have to cut back a little bit because I'm starting classes soon. And everyone was like, Oh my gosh, no worries. Any video you put out, I'm excited for, and I hope you're doing well in school. Keep us updated on all your adventures. And like people are so supportive of not just my videos, but of me as a person and my science. And I think that that is I it's overwhelmingly wonderful and I love my followers because they're so they're so nice and they're so supportive and they're all so interested in science and I I love having this little community of a place to nerd out with other people about cool animals. I mean I certainly feel like my general online I don't know what the right word for it is vibe has just been so much better in the last year or so that I've since I've been, yeah, since I've been working on ologies and just starting to follow every scientist that I come across, it just feels, I mean, just to, you know, play, uh, guess the skull and crow or no, uh, find that lizard watching your videos. It's just like, guys, like science is so much fun. Like this is, you know, this is, it's not just, you know, I love natural history museums, but there's just so much more to it than, than that in a way. Yeah. And science, science is so much fun. And I think that it's definitely something for everyone. You don't even have to be a scientist. Like you can be an accountant, you can be a math teacher, you can be a firefighter, you can be anything and still be super interested in science and have like a small community online to talk about science. And I think that that's really, really awesome. Well, and I mean, again, that's where I've, you know, that's, I mean, I'm starting to follow scientists on Instagram too. Um, but do you think that the social media platforms i know animal facts isn't you know it's obviously animals it's all animals it's not just sharks but has doing science communication helped you in your work at all or is it more of just a another sort of way to just you know interact with people i guess i would say both um because obviously it's a great way to interact with people and meet new people and learn new science like i'm i follow some bird people i follow some mammal people because i'm a fish person but i want to know about these other animals as well um but it's also helped with my science because i've met some really cool shark scientists who are like 
let me know if you ever need help on your work. Or I, I met um, a few of the ladies of Myth through, um, through Twitter. And actually, it's funny because none of the four of us have actually met in person wow. at all. But yeah, we, I met them through social media. And so, yeah, it's definitely helping with my work. It's helping with social life during quarantine. Yeah. It's helping with science communication and it's helping me to be able to help other people. And I think that that is super important. And I'm, I'm really grateful for social media because I think it's a really cool, a really cool platform. Oh, the day that the, that, you know, the, all the co-founders get together, I'm sure is going to be like in person is going to be super exciting. Yes. We, I cannot wait to meet them in person. I'm so excited. And we've, we've had like a gazillion zoom calls, but it's just not the same. And I want to meet them in person so bad. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I mean, I, I mean, you have to like do some sort of trip or some sort of field kind of thing where you guys can yeah. get out on the ocean. I'm sure that would be like, maybe, maybe the summer 2021 is when we all have our best summer ever, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do actually have plans, you know, for our workshops that we're going to be doing yeah, with yeah. other women of color. We have um, plans for the four of us to also be there to, you know, just kind of help create the atmosphere and the community for our program participants. Well, and yeah, I did want to ask how Miss Minorities in Shark Sciences, how that got started. Um, was it just something that came together through social media? Kind of, but kind of not. So we saw Jasmine Graham, uh, well, I guess all of us, but Jasmine Graham email, or sorry, messaged me on Twitter after Blackbirders Week and was like, hey, me and three other or two other people want to start this organization. Do you want to help as well? And I was like, oh, heck yes. So uh, we got started and uh, we had our first Zoom call. And then nine days later, we launched, Ugh, so which cool. was crazy. It was, we did all of it so fast, but yeah, so we, we noticed, um, after seeing black birders week, we were like, yeah, we really need to make our presence known as people of color in shark science, because we, uh, have noticed that like, there isn't that much representation in shark sciences. I don't know of more than, I don't know, a small handful of people of color in the field. And four of those people are the founders of myth. So wow. it's like, I, we, I guess we're kind of, kind of annoyed with being the only one in the room all the time. And so we wanted to make sure that other women didn't feel that way as well. So we started the organization to break down both social barriers and financial barriers because our workshops that we do, it's a weekend uh, through the Miami field school to do shark tagging, possibly some snorkeling Ooh. and, you know, just having important conversations about what it is to be a woman of color in the field that we're in. Um, but all of that is uh, all the donations we get is, is funding that trip for these women. And we're doing, so I cool. believe it's nine participants per workshop because that's what we can fit on the boat. But um, <laughs> no, yeah. you're like, look, <laughs> we want to do more, but we don't want anyone to just, you know, you, you want to swim because you want to, not because you have to like hitch a ride on the back of the right. boat. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so those are those are funded um, by our donations, which we are incredibly grateful for. And yeah, we we just want to make sure that other women of color have the chance to feel welcomed and appreciated and feel heard in this field. So we're like, hey, we're taking up space. We're going to show you that we're taking up space and we are going to help others take up space because science should be. And I believe. Yeah, science should absolutely be a place for everybody. And science needs everybody to be successful because you can't have all these different ideas if you have the same kind of, I guess, cookie cutter example of a scientist. You need diversity. You need men, women, queer people, black, mm -hmm. white, brown. You need everybody from all different walks of life to share their ideas because everybody has different ideas. So we need those different ideas in order for science to be successful. So we want, we want um, people of color to be successful and we want science to be successful. So that's kind of the goals of myth. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah, truly to get past entrenched dogma. And again, I think we talked about earlier, just this idea of like bridging the dream to the reality. And it seems like myth is like, here are these things that you can, those just opportunities that like, 
you know, not everybody has to like, it, it's that thing of like going from again, like looking at sharks in a book to being out in the ocean with them. It seems like Miss is like trying to create these opportunities for people to really get their hands dirty in a way. Yes, we, we absolutely want to be uh, the people to provide those opportunities because like I said, with the whole financial barriers type thing, uh, a lot of people can't afford to do unpaid internships or pay to get experience. Yeah, And frankly, I shouldn't have to because yeah. like, I, I think that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I, it's just not possible for some people. Some people have to help provide for their families. Um, some people's families just can't provide that support for them to pay to get experience. So we want to make sure that people don't have to worry about that. So we wanted to help put that opportunity out there for people who want it and need it. Yeah, I was talking to Ashley Hall and she was saying, like, don't pay for a dinosaur dig. You shouldn't have to pay to go on it on a paleontological dig. There are plenty of opportunities uh, where you can do that and get experience for free. So it's but it's it sometimes seems so like, again, even just from somebody who who wanted to get into it, but didn't. But it almost seems so daunting. Do you think that it that now there are more resources or is it just that there's more visibility like for opportunities? That's a good question. I'm not sure that I can answer it quite honestly. Cause I mean, yeah, sorry, definitely... that's, I was like, that's a big question. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, there definitely is more visibility because we are determined to make ourselves heard. Um, and that might potentially be opening up more opportunities, but it's, it hasn't been that long, I guess, of the, there hasn't been visibility for long enough for me to see a difference in opportunities yet, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I mean, you know, we're not like Mendel's piece or whatever, where we can just grow and, you know, go through generations and, you know, a right. couple of uh, weeks or whatever, or months. Exactly. Um, like, it doesn't just change overnight. Like, it, it, we need some time, obviously, and to for people to, you know, kind of realize what's happening and start to make that change. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you see, what are, what are like the most common questions that you get in regards to... Like, do you see a difference when adults are watching your animal facts videos or, or when kids watch them? Ooh, um, I guess it kind of depends on, I guess it kind of depends on how well-versed each person is in the animal that I'm talking about. Because sometimes I get kids asking these crazy questions where I'm like, that's a really good question. You should be a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> and I have adults asking the same kinds of questions. But then I have people that, you know, they don't know anything about animals, which is totally fine. They're in a, a completely different field of work. And they're like, they'll, they'll ask simpler questions that I know the answer to and can answer. Um, and kids ask the same kinds of questions, too. So it definitely depends on, you know, how much experience they have with science and with animals. But there is sometimes a difference, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Let's see. What do I want to ask? Well, I mean, I guess this is actually on the same note um, that I've been asking everybody. It's like, what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into shark sciences or just science communication uh, in 2020? And what challenges do they face? Yeah. So obviously, COVID is a huge problem <laughs> and it is making it hard to meet, you know, new people and network. But if you want to be involved in science communication and science in general, like just start somewhere because you have to start somewhere. But if you want to make it happen and you, this is something that you want for yourself, 
if you want it bad enough, you can make it happen. And so I guess my best advice is you just have to start. It seems daunting, but it's possible. And you just kind of have to go for it. Ask people for uh, advice or like how they got started. And it's like I said, it's kind of hard to network right now because you're not meeting people in person. But I don't know, message people on social media, ask them questions, um, especially if you want to get into the science field. Just ask people questions and get the information that you need. And I guess kind of jump in from there. Well, yeah, I mean, it. Tr- I mean, truly, I feel I, I would feel as a, I mean, maybe that is daunting still. But I mean, the idea that you could see scientists in this field that you want to study online and that you could possibly interact with them directly feels yeah, I guess it could be empowering, but also it could be daunting as well, too. It's like, hi, uh, you know, like, I f- feel like that sometimes with people I like. So, but. Oh, my um, gosh, same. <laughs> yeah. You're like, could you just look at this thing that I made? And you're just like holding up. It's like you're actually it's funny. I love the I love all the, the shark pants drawings that have been going around. Oh, my gosh. The ones that Amani does. She, yeah, oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah. those She's so great at those. I don't. Have you seen the one with the Mola Mola where it looks like it's doing the splits? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one. I'm going to look it up after. She put pants on it. And she drew a shoe on the dorsal fin and a shoe on, I believe it's the pelvic fin on the bottom. And it looks like it's doing the splits and it's hilarious. You absolutely have to look that one up. That tracks. That's hilarious. Actually, that that it goes on this question I was thinking about. What are do you have any what do you think about left shark? First, let's get let's get let's get the heavy hitting question out of the way. About left shark? Like, do you remember the Katy Perry? Like, yes. shark? I I am left shark. Um, <laughs> no, I love left shark just because it's so funny and goofy and his can't get his steps right. And I'm like, oh, relatable friend. I feel you. Like when you get too stressed, you're like, I am left shark. Oh, well, and I, I, I like left shark because I feel like, you know how, I mean, it's, it's no, it's no secret that it feels like sharks have been demonized for a long, long time. And so to me, left shark is like, it feels so, and I, does baby shark have anything to do with this as well? Do you think the tide is kind of turning tide? Oh God, I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) like, do you think that is like the, as far as the PR for sharks, do you think that we're kind of on a, on a, oh my God, I was going to say sea change. I'm sorry, Jada. I can't, I can't help. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I have heard a lot of baby shark in the past few months, not just because everyone is obsessed with it, but because my two year old nephew is obsessed with it Uh and he dances hard. Like he knows the whole dance. He will go off for that song. And I absolutely love it. And I'll go off with him. I'm like this, this is incredible. I love this, but I think, yeah, we are starting to see a little bit of a shift. Um, I think that there are a lot of people out there that are speaking out and being like, Hey guys, some of the programs you see on TV are not what they should be in the way that they portray sharks. Like there's so many sharks, like, Oh, so shows that are like, Oh, sharks attack. And what, what happens when they attack and look at all these people that have died. And I'm like, this is craziness. Like, why would you, I mean, you're more likely to get killed by a cow or a vending machine or a coconut or a flying champagne cork or a strike of lightning than you are to get killed by a shark. And so many people don't believe that. But I'm like, you have to look, at what's actually happening. Like on average, about four people are killed by sharks every year, but we kill at least a hundred million of them every year. Like that's insane. So honestly, they should be way more afraid of us than we are of them. And I think that it's important for people to speak out and be like, Hey guys, sharks are not terrifying. Honestly, half of them want absolutely nothing to do with you. And the other half are like, what is that? Not prey? Dope. I'm out. Like, They're not just going to maliciously attack you because you're an object in the water. Like that's not how they work. They are intelligent animals. They know what they want and you are it. And I, I just, I love seeing people speak out and being like, guys, sharks are awesome. They're important. Let's focus on how important they are to our ocean ecosystems as top predators and not that a few people get attacked by them every once in a while. Well, and I was I was watching because it was recently Shark Fest. <laughs> I like how Nat Geo has like Shark Fest. It's like, well, we can't be Shark Week, but I was watching <laughs> something, and it was 
And and I thought the mo- to me the most like another telling sign about that is that the people who were attacked by sharks like they're not blaming the shark they're not afraid of sharks that doesn't make them afraid of the ocean at least the people that I saw talking about their experiences so it's like to me it's that same that same element of like you know the beginning we were being, talking about the beginning of like dinosaurs and scariness but it's like there's a respect there I don't know it to me. I wonder if because kids are growing up with baby shark, they're not like people <laughs> like your nephew or um, um, or my girlfriend's daughter are going to like grow up being like what sharks are awesome. Like we can dance with them. Yeah, I yeah, I, I love seeing this shift. And I I also I've seen some of those shows where the shark attack survivors are like, why are we mad at the shark? I was in the water and I I love. OK, when people say shark infested waters, I'm like. Sir, ma'am, person. No, that is not correct. They live there. That's like saying this is a shark or a, a human infested household. That doesn't make any sense. Like, no, I live here. This is my house. Right. Well, so is the ocean for them. Like, that's just kind of how that works. If they're not infesting it, that's where they live. So I think that, like, the vocabulary we use to describe sharks, like infested or menacing or aggressive, like that needs to change because that's part of the reason why people are so afraid of them rather than saying aggressive because a shark came up after some kid went spear fishing and speared a fish say, I guess curious because obviously they feel the vibrations of a dying fish. That's an indication that there's food in the area for them. So obviously they're going to be curious about it and go check it out. That doesn't mean they were trying to attack the spear fisher or anything like that. It means that they were looking for a meal and, there was a dying fish, which is exactly what they would look for. And they don't infest waters. They live there. Um, They aren't menacing and mean. They just have sharp teeth and (laughs) they're just, they're good hunters. They're, they're just wonderful animals and they're so important and impressive. And I think that we just need to change our vocabulary a little bit and the way that we look at them and start talking more about how important they are for their environments. Well, yeah, I mean, cats have sharp teeth and we love cats, you know, so. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't know why this maybe I think you you posted it recently, but like shark's eyes, like if, like almost if you like, you know, I think, again, sort of re because, yeah, language is so important the way you talk about things. But it's almost like if you just like put a mask on a shark, their eyes are just so cute. They're like, oh, they look they're not quite googly eyes, but they're almost in that same kind of cuteness area. Yes, they are so, so cute. Do you want to know a really weird fact about whale shark eyes? Yes. They're covered in dermal denticles, which is what their skin is made of. And it's basically like modified teeth. They have teeth on their eyes. Isn't that weird? Ugh. Ugh. That's so... I mean, look, if you need to, you know, crunch some some water around your eyes, I guess. Ugh. It's one of those facts where I love, but I hate it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, so I guess my own curiosity about whale sharks are they like the are they like the not i don't know what the nice word for it is but you know are they like the stepchild of the of the are like they are sharks right or are they fish they are sharks well, well sharks are fish but yeah. they are sharks huh but they're just they're just their own kind of lineage they're weird because they are filter feeders and they are ungodly large <laughs> the largest fish in the world. So they're, yeah, I mean, they're in a different family than a lot of other sharks, but there, there are a lot of different shark families. So I don't know, like they look weird, but so does the hammerhead shark, but it eats fish. And it's, there's so many different types of sharks out there. And there's so much shark diversity that it's kind of hard to pick out one shark and be like, huh, that's weird because there are other species of filter feeding sharks as well, like the megamoth shark and the basking shark. So Uh It's not just the whale shark, but they are, they are kind of weird, but I think that they're a really good ambassador for sharks too, because they're super gentle and they're filter feeders. They can't even swallow you if they wanted to, like, they're just, they're just these big, goofy, lovable blobs of shark. And they just swim through the ocean and we're like, Oh my gosh, so beautiful. I'm like, that's how we should think about all sharks. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What, regardless, I mean, for many years, we liked orcas and dolphins, and now we don't trust those those jerks uh, anymore, I don't, which is good, I guess. I don't think I ever trusted orcas and dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> an orca's like, it's like um, if you're playing Risk, you know, like you see the orca's got a knife behind its back, you know, just like. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, they're really cute, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe planet earth has done some good for the PR of certain animals where it's like, I feel like every planet earth now shows some, some whales being like jerks to other, other whales or sharks in general. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. I like that planet earth and blue planet is like showing you the truth. They're like, yes, orcas are very cute, but they also will murder other whales for food. <laughs> they have to yeah. eat. <laughs> well, oh no, I was going to ask what made, uh, what made you or what made the group choose the hammerhead shark as the, the miss logo. I was always curious about that. Oh, that's a really good question. Honestly, I just, I think we all really like hammerheads. I mean, it's, it's a very distinct shape. So it's like, if you were to pick like the bull shark or the tiger shark, you're like, oh, that's a shark. But you see a hammerhead, you're, everyone gets excited about hammerheads. You're like, whoa, look at that head. Like, that's so weird. I think, <laughs> I don't know. I think we picked it because we really like it. But I also like that it kind of gets people excited about sharks because they're so weird looking. So I think it makes a great logo. And my friend that I'm sure you know from uh, Dino 101, and she actually designed the logo for us. Oh, so and cool. She's crazy talented. So if you need a logo, you should hit her up. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's such a great logo. And yeah, it's it's I mean, I, I yeah, I've been retweeting a bunch of stuff. But um, I mean, this will this will come out after uh, Elasma week, but I'll, I'll post about it so that people know to check it out. But is that is that something that you're excited about? Like, it feels like it's like having these things to look forward to events and stuff like that. And, and is that just more of because of covid and just keeping people interested? Or is it more of you would have been doing this anyway? Elasma Week is interesting because it is, I think it's easy to do because we're all in COVID and we're in quarantine because of COVID and we've all gotten to know how to work Zoom and the internet a lot better than we did before. But I think it started because we were like, honestly, Shark Week is not as informative as it used to be. And that's disappointing. So we're going to get a bunch of people together to tell you the truth about sharks and not paint them in such a negative light. And and it's not just about sharks, right? Because Elasma Ranks is, it's got sharks, skates, and rays. So there are going to be people talking about rays, people talking about skates, and people talking about sharks. And I think that's really important because skates and rays are their own animals. And people love to call them flat sharks, which is adorable. And I love that. But we also need to recognize that they are not sharks. <laughs> and I think I heard on TV recently, someone said, uh, rays are in the shark family Carcharina day. And that was such a blatantly incorrect statement that I was like, oh, who fact checked that? Is, I, well, I clearly no one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I probably. was like, what is happening? You can't, this is a huge platform. Like, you can't put blatantly incorrect information out there. There are, I think, 26 individual families of rays. So to lump them all into one group and stick them in a shark family is just not correct. And so. <laughs> This is why I think we really need Elasma Week because we've just got a lot of scientists and science communicators that are out here like, hey, we know a lot about these animals. Please come talk to us. We want to tell you all the things and we want to give you correct information. Yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want people to be dismissive. Yeah, just throw all the flappy ones in the in their own. <laughs> They're just flappy sharks, you know. Right. Um, which actually makes me think of is there. Cause I was, that just made me think of, of course, like the idea when people call a mosasaur or um, a pteranodon, they call it a dinosaur. And it's like, no, that's right. a marine reptile. That's a flying reptile. It was, was uh, calling like throwing the rays into the shark family, just kind of dismissive. Is there like, are, what are those kind of like to borrow alley wards? Like, is there those kind of flim flam things that like drive shark people crazy when, when you see the wrong information out there? Yeah, I think. It's especially harmful with sharks because they're already so villainized and demonized that it's super important to make sure that accurate information is getting out there and to see so much misinformation about sharks and shark attacks and rays and skates. I think that that's, that's pretty dangerous. So it drives me nuts for that reason. And also because it's just not correct science. And if you're not going to give people correct information, either fact check yourself first or just like, don't say the, the incorrect thing. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you actually believe that was a thing and then later realize that you were wrong and you correct yourself publicly, perfectly fine. Totally understand that. I've done that before. And I think it's important to recognize that 
people, even scientists, like we make mistakes. We don't know everything and we can correct ourselves and be like, Hey, my bad guys, this is actually the correct information. But if you're not doing that and you're just giving incorrect information and just leaving it at that, that is so, so frustrating to me. And I'm sure that other scientists feel the same way about their study groups, their study species too, people being like, Oh, well, uh, this, what, what am I thinking? The garter snake is venomous. And they're like, excuse me, that's literally not true. Like, why would you say like, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. and I'm sure that, um, Dustin feels the same way about people calling certain reptiles dinosaurs when they're clearly not dinosaurs. I didn't know this. I learned from his show, what makes a dinosaur a dinosaur. Yeah. But that's why we ask questions and that's why we correct people and we politely correct people. We put correct information out there so that people have the right information and can learn from it because learning is fun. Learning is fun. Um, well, no, but, but you bring up a good point though, that like the, the reality is, is some misinformation about, you know, whether a Mosasaurus is a dinosaur when it's actually a marine reptile versus misinformation about sharks that like you said can directly lead to harm is is i mean to me is very uh, that's very illuminating to hear just it's like oh yeah like well dinosaurs are extinct so inform misinform i mean like even me where like i even in doing these interviews and stuff and and i was talking to dustin it's like oh yeah like most of my dinosaur books from when i was a kid are from when i was a kid so i'm dealing with information that's 20 years out of date but right. it, it hopefully isn't leading me to actively harm anybody as far as I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I had never thought about that idea. Like the misinformation in your field could, could have r real impacts and stuff in, in yeah. Our daily lives. Yeah, definitely. Jada, this has been so much fun. I gotta, I mean, we got to end with a little Jurassic park. Um, yes, do you absolutely. remember, do you remember the first time you saw it and, and how you thought about it? Um, I remember I was very little and I only remember one scene and it was, this guy was picked up by a T-Rex and then his leg got ripped off by a different T-Rex and then they walked away. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, this is terrifying. I can't watch this. But I was like six or something. And then I watched it again later and I was like, this is so cool. They CGI dinosaurs so well. I mean, slight inaccuracies. I mean, like feathers should have been involved in some of these things, but yeah. that's not the point. <laughs> they, I thought that it was the coolest thing when I actually watched it when I wasn't, terrified as a child and i oh my god i love these movies how do you feel about i know so many people are very upset about jurassic world how do you feel about jurassic world i mean i it to me well oh yeah this is my little soapbox i think the pro like i think the hard part about jurassic is that the first you know movie especially was kind of hailed as sort of not only a good movie but almost like edutainment in a way like uh, when talking to paleontologists it's like oh, of course i would want to be a paleontologist of course i wanted to be a paleontologist as a kid like uh um you know grant looked like such a badass out in the dig site you know ellie's a paleobotanist but you know she's out in the field as well like that looks so cool but then it's almost like as technology and science move on it almost seems like now jurassic has to be like you know, we have to stick to the old designs because that's what people know. And, you know, I think it's that the new movies, you know, it's it's to me, the edutainment element of it was part of the spirit of the original. But it's sort of hard to they haven't really kept up with that at all, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I can kind of see what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, it's just because to me, it's like and it's actually funny because this i i really like the last one fallen kingdom but i thought but this to me i thought was a legitimate criticism which i really like as far as you know because you, you can get in the nitty-gritty pronated wrists you know whatever like actual science but then but the idea that nobody says the dinosaurs the new dinosaurs names in the movie was like a bummer for someone because like you know like you velociraptor gallimimus but in fallen kingdom it's like nobody says stigai moloch nobody says cynoceratops and somebody was like i want my jurassic park movie to say the dinosaurs names because that's like the nerdy aspect about dinosaurs is getting to like yeah. say their names i was like oh wow i never even thought about that i didn't either that's a really interesting point yeah i mean it's it's yeah i don't i mean i think maybe in that world somebody who works with these animals you know you're i mean i mean do you i was gonna say do you say the shark's names out loud every time you're like where like in you know working uh, like at your computer like oh this uh the the bonnet shark you know or what i i mean is that realistic or not to not say the names out loud um 
I guess it depends on if you're working with someone who also knows how to identify them or not. Sometimes I do it just because I'm like, oh my gosh, look at that little bonnet head. He's so cute. And I just like get really excited and I'm like, oh my gosh. But I guess not all the time am I looking at it and I'm like saying out loud to myself, I'm like, yep, there's the scallop hammer head. And then like, you know what I mean? It, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it kind of depends on the situation, but sometimes I do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like you're giving a tour and you're like, well, here's the tiger shark, you know? Yeah. Um, but you're not saying that to yourself, but maybe, you know, if, if somebody is, you know, if you're saying dinosaur, I mean, I'll just whisper dinosaur names to help myself fall asleep. So why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, well then that actually, then I think this, this is my last question. Do you, cause you know, going back to sort of the image of, of sharks, is there, is there like a good fictional shark movie that sort of portrays how sharks really are? I'm trying to think. I remember what was it called? Deep Blue. That movie was hilarious. It was ridiculous. Um, Wait, that was the, was that the surfing one or was that the the like actual like shark attack? Like Sam Jackson does this. Yeah, that attack. one had Sam Jackson in it, and he died. <laughs> <laughs> he died so aggressively. Um, Jaws is not accurate. Um, the Meg is not accurate, but it's funny. <laughs> um, not accurate for a gazillion reasons, but yeah. it's a good monster movie. You know, I can't specifically think of a shark movie that's just like, yeah, look how beautiful the shark is. Like 47 meters down, not, no. <laughs> a lot of like, look at how aggressive and mean this shark is when it's, oh, one that really bothers me is The Shallows. I oh, love I Lake that Lively. One. That one, so she gets, she's, surfing and then she watches someone get attacked by a shark next to her and then she's stuck on this little like island type thingy in the middle like not far from the beach but then the shark is just like circling her little island but there's a dead whale carcass like 40 feet the other direction i'm like this shark is not going to spend all of its energy trying to eat a human (laughs) when its actual prey is over there like she could have like in reality she would have just swam to shore and been fine because the sharks would have been occupied i don't know that's something it that bothered me so much Cause I'm like, this is, they don't want to eat you. That's not yeah. their goal, but I can't well, I, really think of a, a realistic shark movie, honestly. Well, uh, yeah. Cause I mean, to me again, why I think people really, why I think Jurassic park is kind of held up to a higher standard and is sort of appreciated more. And it seems, I mean, in general, I feel like uh, at least a lot of scientists that I've talked to or paleontologists I've, I've heard from or, or, you know, follow online. It's like, well, you know, Jurassic Park has these inaccuracies and inaccuracies and stuff. But there is an element to Jurassic Park that people that I love, which is I just love seeing those long boys be long boys. Like I love I don't I don't necessarily like it because it's a monster movie. I like the elements that, you know, that make these dinosaurs real animals. And so. Yeah, it seems like we're overdue for a shark movie that's just like, oh, look how pretty they are. These beautiful, sleek cats of the sea or whatever, you know? Yeah, I think we should have a shark movie like like Happy Feet style where like we're the villains. Oh, and yeah. then we we and then the sharks are like, ah, no, don't hurt us. And then we're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we were doing this to you. We should be better. And then we fix it. I think that would be awesome because Happy Feet was so heartwarming. We need a shark yeah. version of Happy Feet. Yes. Hollywood, if you're listening, you know, we're we're starting to film stuff now, but look, this is a time to get some new scripts in. And I think we we could set a realistic goal by maybe next year's Shark Week or something like that and have like, um, yeah, like throw some of that planet blue planet music behind there. We'd be good to go. Yes. Add a, a few <laughs> words by David Attenborough and you are absolutely set. <laughs> uh. Well, Jada, this has been so fantastic. It's so nice to finally sit down and chat with you about animal facts and myths and and everything that you're doing. Where can people follow you? Where can people watch animal facts? All that good stuff. Support Miss. Yes. Okay. So our Miss website is MissElasmo.org. Um, on all social media, we are Miss underscore Elasmo. Um, and you can find our YouTube channel where we will be streaming the Elasma Week events, which I'm very excited for. You can follow me on Twitter at Sophistication. Um, <laughs> Still the best Twitter to handle. Oh, my God. So thank good. you. Um, Instagram at Sophistication underscore. And TikTok is just my name, Jada Elcock. 
And Jada is spelled with an I, by the way. I know it's weird, but J-A-I-D-A-E-L-C-O-C-K. That's my TikTok. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.